Ezekiel chapter 16, Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 53 through 63. God says, I will restore their fortunes, both the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters, and the fortunes of Samaria and her daughters, and I will restore your own fortunes in their midst, that you may bear your disgrace and be ashamed of all that you have done, becoming a consolation to them. As for your sisters, Sodom and her daughters shall return to their former state, and Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former state, and you and your daughters shall return to your former state. Was not your sister Sodom a byword in your mouth in the day of your pride before your wickedness was uncovered? Now you have become an object of reproach for the daughters of Syria and all those around her, and for the daughters of the Philistines, those all around who despise you. You bear the penalty of your lewdness and your abominations, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath and breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and give them to you as daughters, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame, when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. As I told you before we started our recording, I'm very excited about where we're going to go tonight because last week's study was really, really hard, where God, if you remember, he recounted Israel's history from their inception until where they were in their captivity from his point of view. And as you know, he called her a prostitute and horrible, horrible things that he described her as because of her unfaithfulness to him. Tonight's study is going to be a flip of that, because now at this point, God then tells Israel what the future future is going to be for them. And I can't wait to show it to you. We see in verse 53 that he says he's going to restore the fortunes of, the, of Sodom and her daughters and the fortunes of Samaria and her daughters. And then he says to Israel, and I'm going to restore your fortunes in their midst. Now we're going to come back to God restoring the fortunes of Sodom and Samaria. Remind, remind you, Samaria is the northern kingdom of the ten tribes, which we call tribes of Israel. Remember, they had had their split between the nation of Israel, 10 tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. Judah was in the south. At this point, Samaria had already been judged by God and taken into captivity what long ago by Assyria. God's dealing now with what's left in Jerusalem and the people of Judah, and they've been taken into captivity in waves, and there was one more attack still to come by Nebuchadnezzar coming up. Um, but at the same time, um, here he says he's going to restore not only the fortunes of Israel or Judah as well, he's going to restore the fortunes of Samaria and Sodom, which is interesting because if you remember, God destroyed Sodom, didn't he? I'll come back to that because it's really cool when we get to explain that. But what I want to do first is look at those words, and I want to show you these words are all over the Bible. All right? Um, he says, I will restore your own fortunes in their midst, speaking of the nation of Israel, especially Judah and Jerusalem. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey. You need a piece of paper because some of you might not be able to keep up with me as I do this. But I'm going to show you that God telling the nation of Israel that he's going to restore their fortunes is not just here in Ezekiel 16, but it's in a lot of places. And I'm not going to show you all of them but you're going to think I am showing you all of them, okay? Go with me to Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 
Joel chapter 3, look at verses 1 and 2. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land. So we see those, that phrase, behold, in those days and at that time. Those are prophecy words about the very, very end of time, right before and as Jesus is coming back to the earth. And so I want you to understand, he said he's going to restore the fortunes of who? Judah and Jerusalem. And in doing so, he's going to be gathering all the nations. That's important. You'll see this in a little bit tonight. He's going to gather all the nations and judge them according to how they treated who? Israel. And because they divided his land. Now, let me just remind you, Matthew 25, verse 31 and following is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And we in the church have been taught for years that that was applied to the church. And it's not. God's not going to judge the church according to the sheep and the goats because according to Joel chapter 3, he's going to come and he's going to judge all the nations there in the valley of Jehoshaphat according to how they treated Israel. If you remember the beginning of Matthew 25 verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with them, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered and he will then judge them, sheep on one side, goats on the other, and in that setting, he says, because you were good to these brothers of mine, you get to enter the kingdom. If you didn't give water or visit in prison or give something to eat to these brothers of mine, you didn't do it to me. You now go into utter darkness. So let me just back it up for a second. When Jesus comes in his glory and then sits on his throne, where is he sitting on his throne? Up there or here? It's here. And as he gathers the nations, these brothers of mine are who? According to Joel. It's Israel. Folks, I want you to understand the sheep and the goats is not God determining which of us go into heaven. Yes, there are passages that talk about us needing to take care of the needs of the people. And in the book of James, it clearly says, how can you say you have a love for your brother if, you, if they have a need and you're not willing to meet it? Yet at the same time, the sheep and the goats passage is talking about how God determines of the humans that survived the tribulation. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 24, if those days hadn't been cut short, no human being would live. Of the humans that do live through it, he determines how they, who gets to live in the millennial kingdom according to how they treated Israel. That's going to be important because I'm going to show you a scripture tonight that many of you might be have never seen that actually explains it even more. And the reason I say it is, is because I've been studying the scripture for years and I saw something I've never seen before. Can't wait to show it to you, but it's later on. All right. So it's all going to come together. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah 30 verses 1 through 3. It says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. Now we see it's not just Judah and Jerusalem. He's going to restore the fortunes of Judah and Israel, the northern kingdom, says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. Again, a prophecy about the fact in the last days he's going to restore the fortunes of Jerusalem and Judah and Israel now we see. Go to verse 18 of chapter 30. Chapter 30, verse 18. Thus says the Lord. By the way, has anybody noticed yet that there's a theme here? God says, oh, by the way, I'm saying this. 
I'm saying this, thus says the Lord, behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. The city, Jerusalem, shall be rebuilt on its mound and the palace shall stand where it used to be. By the way, we're not even close to getting to the end of all these passages, but I want you to start realizing for years we've been taught that the millennial kingdom is not literal. It's just, you know, it's symbolic. No, the scripture is very, very clear that it's going to literally happen on the earth, in the land, in Jerusalem. It's going to be an amazing time, but it's going to be rebuilt and restore the fortunes. Back up one chapter to chapter 29. Look at verses 11 through 14. God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And as much as that's true for us who are in Christ, this was written, a promise to Israel. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Again, He's promised to restore the fortunes of Jerusalem and Judah and Israel. Go to Jeremiah 31. Look at verse 23. Jeremiah 31, verse 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. In case you're curious who was saying this. Once more, they shall use these words in the land of Judah and in its cities when I restore their fortunes. The Lord bless you, O inhabitation of righteousness, O holy hill. Go to Jeremiah 32. Look at verses 42 through 44. Jeremiah 32, 42 through 44. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Fields shall be bought in this land of which you are saying it's a desolation without man or beast. It is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Fields shall be bought for money and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin and in the palaces about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah and in the cities of the Negeb. For I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. Go to chapter 33. Look at verses 7 through 11. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say it's a waste and without man or beast, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man or inhabitant, or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever, for I will restore the fortunes in the, of the land as at first, says the Lord. Now, before we go any further, let me clarify something. When God makes the promise that in the last days he's going to gather the nation of Israel from all the places he scattered them and bring them back into the land, 
That hasn't happened yet. You say, wait a minute, Jim, 1948. No, no, no. Listen closely as you're going to see the prophecies talk about the fact when those prophecies are fulfilled, as you're going to see in a little bit, all Israel will know the Lord. Not the case. They will be in that land never to be uprooted ever again forevermore. Not the case. They'll live there with no one making them afraid. Not the case. They will all worship God. Not the case. What happened in 1948 is awesome. I thank God for 1948 and the nation of Israel becoming a nation again because that makes possible now the fulfillment of the future prophecies about the fact that the Antichrist was going to chase the Israelites out of the land of Israel. They had to be back in the land first before that could happen. There's going to be a temple, just like the Bible said and, and, and says, that there's going to be, it's going to be rebuilt. When and how? Not worried about it. It might be a part of the peace treaty. It might happen prior to that. We don't know. But let me just tell you, in order for the prophecies in the last days to be fulfilled, the Israel, Israelites had to be back in the land for the Antichrist to chase them out of it. 1948 is awesome, but it's not the fulfillment. A lot of preachers say, oh, he said he's going to gather them back in the last days and look, they're back in the land. That's not what the prophecies say, because as you're about to see, they're very clear that when these prophecies are fulfilled, Israel won't worry about nothing, never again. All right. So have you got the idea that God's going to restore the fortunes of Jerusalem and Judah? You didn't say that good enough. I'm going to show you some more. Go to Amos chapter nine. Go to Amos chapter nine. Um, and we might lose some people here because I know that I'm going fast and some of you don't know where Amos is. It's all right. Amos chapter nine. That's one of the neat things about those new Bibles that are on, you know, on the, you know, get them on your phone and in your iPads. You're like, Amos, boop, just touch the button and I'm in Amos. All those years of going, where is it? They're going away. Let me just say this real quick. Years ago, just a few years ago, I was preaching in this big church. And I love hearing Bible pages turn when I say, turn to such and so. And I, in this big sanctuary, about 1,500 people where I was preaching, I said, turn to such and so. And I didn't hardly hear any pages turning. And my flesh got angry. I thought, man, they're not even opening their Bibles. And before I said, what do you do? Oh, all these lights were all over the sanctuary. Everybody's had their faces there looking at their screens. I'm like, no wonder I can't hear it anymore. Amos chapter 9. I kind of miss it, don't you, James? Don't you kind of miss hearing the Bible pages turn? You can make your sound like that. Hey, make sure you don't do what my wife did, though. She had the auto, the, the, how it'll read it aloud for you. She had forgotten that was on. Pastor said, turn to such and so. And all of a sudden, her iPad started reading it aloud for the whole congregation. <laughs> And she was like, where is the off button? Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. All y'all listening online right now, you're missing all the fun being here. All right, Amos chapter 9. Look at verses 11 through 15. In that day, the booth of David that is fallen and repair, sorry, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name. Don't miss that. Because you're about to see, God's not only going to restore the fortunes of Jerusalem and Judah and, and Israel. He's also going to restore some of the nations at that time. But not all. And I'll explain to you in a little bit why. But in all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel. And they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I'll plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord God. 
So you seeing it? He's going to restore their fortunes. You still didn't say it convincingly enough. Let me show you some more. Go to Zephaniah chapter 2. Zephaniah chapter 2. Look at verse 7, and then we're going to look at chapter 3, verse 20. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 7, and Zephaniah 3.20. 2.7 says this, The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah, on which they shall graze. In the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. Chapter 3, verse 20. At that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. We good? Yeah, you, you, you convinced me, but I still got one more scripture. I'm going to read it to you anyway. This will be our last one, I think. Go to, go to Ezekiel again. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 39. Ezekiel 39, look at verses 25 through 29. Ezekiel 39, 25 and following. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. They shall forget their shame and all their treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies' lands and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them into exile among the nations and then assembled them in their into their own land, I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore. Has that been fulfilled yet? No, there are Jews all over the world still. I'll leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore, and I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. So I think we can safely say God has promised and said over and over and over, I'm going to restore the fortunes of Jerusalem and Judah and Israel. I'm going to rebuild them back into that land. No one will make them afraid. I'm going to restore them back to their former glory days when the rest of the world would come and just see what God was doing in Jerusalem and in the land of Israel. I don't know if you ever heard about how back when David was king and Solomon was king, the other nations would all come. Even the Queen of Sheba would come and just see what God was doing. He said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it. So when's this going to happen? In that day and at those times? Good answer. Actually, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us exactly when it's going to happen. Go to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Listen to verses 17 through 21. Now remember, as you're turning there, Peter is preaching. And Peter doesn't just know this, the Spirit of God speaking through him. Because if you've ever studied and followed Peter, how often did he get answers right? I can only find two times in the Bible that he got things right. I can show you a lot of times he got them wrong. The two times are when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And the Spirit of God gave him insight, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't open your eyes. And the only other time was when John chapter 6, when Jesus said, uh, uh, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And upon hearing this, many of his disciples left and they went away. Jesus turned to the 12 and said, you guys are free to go too. Do you want to go? And Peter said, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, he didn't understand them. 
So when Peter says what he says here, it's not because he took a class and learned it. The Spirit of God is speaking through Peter right now as he preaches. And listen to what God says through Peter in verse 17 of chapter 3. And now, brothers, speaking to the Jews, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. When is this going to happen? When Jesus comes back to the earth. Heaven has received him until the time for restoring all the things that God has spoken through his prophets. We've already given you just a few of them. I'm going to show you in a little bit some more. But I just want you to understand, God says to Israel now, even though he spent all last week as our study looked at, we looked at, telling them how bad they were and how horrible they were, he then says, oh, but by the way, I'm going to restore your fortunes to what they were before. Now, notice, like I said at the beginning, that God promises to restore the fortunes of Samaria and Sodom, too. Go back to chapter 16 of Ezekiel. Look at verse 53 again. I will restore their fortunes, both the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters, and the fortunes of Samaria and her daughters. And I'm going to also restore uh, your fortunes in their midst. Samaria is the northern ten tribes of Israel, but Sodom isn't. Why is Sodom going to be restored as well? I mean, why, why is God going to restore? I mean, we can see him restoring Jerusalem and the Israelites because of his promises. But why is he going to restore Sodom? They were tied to Abraham through Lot. And if you remember, God came and rescued Lot and his family. Of course, his wife looked back and was killed. As you're going to also see, unfortunately, when Lot ran up into the mountains... His daughters said, well, there's no man now to get us pregnant and carry on the family name. And they got Lot drunk, didn't they? And they slept with him. And they gave birth to the Moabites and the Ammonites. Moab and Ammon were born to Lot. Keep that in mind, Moab and Ammon. That's important because we're going to show you something later tonight. Now, the Bible tells us exactly why Sodom is going to be rebuilt and restored to its original fortunes. But first, let me show you that other nations around Israel are promised future restoration as well, but not all. And I got to be honest with you, folks, I had never seen this before. Go to Jeremiah chapter 48. I believed and understood for years that God was going to restore Jerusalem. But the Bible is very clear that God's going to restore other nations as well, but not all. Jeremiah 48, look at verse 47. Yet I will restore the fortunes of who? Moab. In the latter days, declares the Lord, thus far is the judgment on Moab. God actually says, just like he did about Jerusalem and Judah and Israel, that he's going to also restore the fortunes of Moab. Go to Jeremiah chapter 49, look at verse 6. But afterward, I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites, declares the Lord. He's not just going to restore the fortunes of Jerusalem and the Israelites. He's also going to restore the fortunes of the Moabites and the Ammonites. Oh, by the way, if you kept reading, you'll see that he doesn't make that promise for Edom. You see the next one, it says judgment on Edom in your Bibles. If you were to read through there, there's no promise to restore Edom. Um, if you also remember earlier in a previous promise we read about how God was going to restore the fortunes of Jerusalem and Judah, they were going to possess the area of Edom. That's going to be given to the Jews. 
Oh, if you keep reading, you'll see there's a judgment on Damascus. Guess what? There's no promise that Damascus will be restored to its future state, or former state. Actually, you'll see there's a judgment on Kedar and Hazor. There, well, let me just put it to you. Look at verse 30, 33 for yourself. See it for yourself. 49, verse 33. Hazor shall become a haunt of jackals, an everlasting waste. No man shall dwell there. No man shall sojourn in her. Has God promised to restore Damascus and Hazor and Kedar? No. Oh, but look at chapter 49, verse 39. But in the latter, latter days, I'll restore the fortunes of Elam, declares the Lord. So go, go ahead and ask your question. And you just said captivity. Yes. In other words, what God, some translations use the word captivity. What it means is this. When they were in the land, he then took them into captivity because of their sin. He said, I'm going to bring them back from their captivity is what he's saying. And that's how it's translated in, their, in their, those translations. In other words, I took them into captivity because of their sin. I'm going to restore them from their captivity. That's what it's talking about. Okay. Now, the interesting thing is we don't have to guess at why Moab's being rebuilt and Ammonites are being rebuilt and Elam's being rebuilt, but not these others. The Bible actually tells us. Go to Jeremiah chapter 12. Back up earlier, prior to all these prophecies here in Jeremiah, in chapter 12, verses 14 through 17, the scripture actually tells us why. Jeremiah 12, verse 14. Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I have given my people, Israel, to inherit. Herit, Behold, I will pluck them up from their land and I will pluck up the house of Judah from among them. And after I have plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them and I will bring them again, each to his heritage and each to his land. And it shall come to pass if they will diligently learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. But if any nation will not listen, then I will utterly pluck it up and destroy it, declares the Lord. So what's the measuring stick that God's using to determine which nations are going to be restored to their fortunes and which ones aren't? How they treat Israel and whether they turn to the God of Israel at the time that God reveals himself to Israel He's going to reveal himself to all the nations at the same time. And the nations that say, Israel, your God is the only God, those nations will be restored to their prior fortunes as well. And the nations that don't, they won't be. Oh, and by the way, God already knows which ones are which. And he shows us. But it's all tied to Israel and the God of Israel in the last days. Go ahead, James. Uh, back to chapter 49, verse mm -hmm. 38, he says, I'm going to set up my throne in Elam. Is that something more than just his authority? I personally think it's his, his authority. Because as you know, his actual throne, very clearly from many scriptures, are going to be in Jerusalem. But when he says, I'll set up my throne in Elam, it's talking about his authority. Yep. Good, good question, though. Very good question. All right. Now, when God restores Israel to her former state in the midst of the nations around her, go back to Ezekiel chapter 16. He says he's going to do it for an interesting reason, though. He says he's going to do it so that she may bear her disgrace and be ashamed of all she's done 
And so she'll be a consolation to the nations around her. See that? Let me read it to you again. Start in verse 53. I'll restore the fortunes, both of the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters, fortunes of Samaria and her daughters, and I'll restore your own fortunes in their midst, that you may bear your disgrace and be ashamed of all that you have done, becoming a consolation to them. Doesn't that seem kind of interesting? That God would say in the midst of them, I'm going to restore your fortunes, oh, so that you'll be ashamed? And be a consolation to the other nations. Well, the scripture, the context here actually tells us what this means. The, the, the short version is God is showing them that his future salvation will be purely because of his grace. You see, the attitude of the Jews when Jesus was even on the scene was we're children of Abraham, we're good stuff. But God shows them that at that time when he does all that he's gonna do, they won't be thinking it's because of them at all, but simply because of him. And because, well, the scripture here goes on and explains, as for your sister Sodom and daughters, they shall return to their former state. Verse 55, by the way. And Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former state. And you and your daughters shall return to your former state. But then he says this, was not your sister Sodom a byword in your mouth in the day of your pride? In other words, didn't you make fun of them when I judged them? Didn't you look down on them when I bombed Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin? Didn't you think you were better than them and you just kind of looked down on them? Verse 57, before your wickedness was uncovered, now you've become an object of reproach to the daughters of Syria and all those around her and the daughters of the Philistines and those around who despise you. You bear the penalty of your lewdness and your abominations, declares the Lord. In other words, he says, now that I'm judging you, all the nations around you are making fun of you. There are prophecies in, in, in the Old Testament that show that when the nation of Israel were taken into captivity, their captors made fun of them and says, let's hear those songs from Zion. You guys are famous for singing about the Lord and your land. And let's hear those songs now. Uh, I'd like to hear those songs. And they were mocked and made fun of. And what God says to him is this. Just like you look down on all the other nations when I judge them and thought you were better than them. Your wickedness was also uncovered in the sight of the nations around you. And they started to make fun of you. And when I bring everybody back, well, all those that I'm going to bring back to their former state and restore their fortunes, you're going to realize it's all because of me and not because of you. Why? Because they got the same whooping that Sodom got. You know what I'm saying? They were just as guilty. They realized they were just as guilty as the nations around them. They weren't any better. If not, as God said, they were worse. And they're going to be ashamed of what they've done. But how are they also going to be a consolation to them? Exactly. If God loves you, he'll love us too. And there will be nations that turn to God because of what he does with Israel. We see it on a smaller scale. When we see individuals during the church age come to faith in Christ because of what God does in some of our lives. Haven't you had loved ones who say, if God did that work in your life, he'll do it in mine. And individually they turn to God because of what he did for you. In the same way, on the national scale, it's going to happen the same way. Nations are going to say, if God would redeem them, he can redeem us. And they'll turn to him. They'll realize it's totally because of his grace that they're back to where they were, not because they earned it or deserved it or were to the children of Abraham. It's simply because of God's grace. But also there'll be a consolation to the nations around them. 
he did it for them, he'll do it for us. By the way, that's why I love the fact that God chose Peter to preach to the Jews. Because if you heard me say this before, let me just say it again. It bothered me for years that God would choose Paul to go to the Gentiles. Because, you know, in my mind, because I'm smarter than God, I, um, I used to think, well, Pete, Paul would have been the best person to go preach to the Jews. He was the Jew of the Jews, taught by Gamaliel. I mean, he knew the law. If there was anybody to go preach to the Jews, it would be Paul. But God chose Paul to go to the Gentiles. And he chose Peter to go to the Jews. You don't, you, you don't know what I'm talking about. Just go look later at Galatians chapter 1, and you'll see that very clearly. And then all of a sudden, one day, God opened my eyes. First off, thank God that he used the Jew of the Jews to preach the message to the Gentiles that it's salvation by grace alone, faith alone. And it's nothing we do, no works, no law, totally by his grace, and that a Jew said that. As you remember, when the church started, there was all these discrepancies between the Jews and the Gentiles in the church about whether or not they're supposed to keep the law and all that stuff. And he used a Jew of the Jews that said, ignore all that stuff. That's worthless. It's by faith alone. Oh, but you know who was the best person to preach to the Jews? Oh, by the way, the Jews who rejected Jesus, who denied him. One of them who had done the same thing, who had not only lived with him for three years, he saw him transfigured. He was one of the three guys on that mountain, saw him transfigured. He was there when Jairus' daughter was healed, and nobody else got to see it. He was there alone in the garden with him, dressed before the cross. He had lived with Jesus. He, was, he had been there, and Peter said, Guys, yes, you denied the Lord. Yes, you acted in ignorance. But so did I. After being with him for three years and seeing him transfigured even, I said, I don't even know him. Never met him. Get away from me. And he forgave me. He can forgive you. Isn't that cool? And the Jews are going to be. Right now the world hates them. Right now, unfortunately, many churches hate them. It's grieving to me. But the Bible says that God's going to do a work in that nation, through that nation. They're going to go through some stuff between now and then. But when it's all said and done, because of what he does for Israel, other nations are going to turn to him, and they're going to be restored as well. Folks, pray that our nation is one of those nations. Pray that our nation is one of those nations that will be restored to its fortunes, because we're just as guilty as anybody. It don't matter which side of the aisle you're on, Republican or Democrat. Both Republicans and Democrats have been telling Israel for years to divide the land for peace. And the Bible says the nations will be judged because they divided the land of Israel. Oh, but if America even exists at that time, if they'll turn to God because of the, what he did for the Jews, he'll restore the nation of, his, of America as well. Now, I can't wait to show you the rest of this. It gets even better. Look at verses 59 to the end of the chapter. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. This is a future promise. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters both your elder and your younger, and I give them to you as daughters. But not on account of the covenant with you, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame, when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. 
God says that the reason he'll restore Israel's fortunes is because of the covenant promise he made to the nation of Israel when they were young. Look closely again at verse 59. For thus says the Lord God, I'm going to deal with you as you have done, as, as you have done, you who have despised the oath and breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. That's two different things. He says, I'm going to remember the covenant I made with you when you were young, and I'm going to establish another covenant, which is an everlasting covenant, because a certain covenant, he says there, you made an oath and you broke it. You despised that covenant. Now, we got to take some time here to understand the different covenants. I'm not going to get into all the different covenants, but I want to just show you three real quick. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Look at verses 1 through 7. It says, the Lord had said to Abraham, or Abram at the time, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'm going to make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, and the Lord, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Jump over to chapter 15. Look at verses 18 through 21. We've just seen God promise to give the land to the offspring of Abram. Go to chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. In chapter 15, verse 18, it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Chapter, eight, chapter 15, verse 18. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, or Abram again, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. He said, look, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to give your descendants this land. And it goes from here to here. And we'll get to that more later on in our study of Ezekiel, how big it actually is. But go to Genesis 17, verses 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings, plural, shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. Now Abraham's told this, this land is going to be given to him as well. Him and his offspring make my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. So God's covenant that he makes with Abraham is what? 
I'm going to give you what? What's the covenant promise? The land. That's all it is. He just simply says, there's nothing Abraham has to do. It's a covenant that God says, I'm going to give you. I make a promise. I make a covenant. I make a vow that I'm going to give to you and your descendants all this land as an everlasting possession. Now, as you know, he eventually brought them in, gave it to them. They prospered for a while. They turned from God. And as we've been seeing, he had to remove them from the land a few times because of sin. But in the very end, when he restores the fortunes, it's tied to his remembering his covenant with them when they were young, that he would give them that land. But there's a second covenant that's referenced here, back in Ezekiel 16. It's a covenant that they despised. Verse 59 again, For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Does anybody know what covenant God's referring to there? Because there was no way, they, nothing they would have to do to break the covenant of the land. Remember, God just says, here's my covenant, I'm going to give you the land. There's nothing they had to do. But there's a, there's a covenant that he's made with them referenced here that they despised and an oath they broke. Does anybody know what covenant we're talking about? I'm sorry? The Mosaic Covenant, right, the law. Remember when he brought them into the, land, into the wilderness, he made the Ten Commandments, and he, when he brought them into the land, they had these two mountains. One was on one side, one was on the other. One was the mountain for blessing, and the other one was for cursing. And he said, all right, I'm going to make a covenant with you. You've got to keep one end of your bargain, and I'll keep my end of the bargain. If you'll obey my commandments and keep my word, I'll bless you. If you break my covenant, I'll curse you. And if you go back, we don't have time to go there because of all we have to cover in the time we have left. The nation of Israel stood there between those mountains and they said these words. We covenant, we vow to keep all the words of the, of the law. By the way, how'd they do? They broke their, their oath, didn't they? They actually vowed all the law, all the words of the law, we will obey. And they didn't. So God says to them, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, the one that I promised to give you the land forever and ever. And I'm going to establish for you an everlasting covenant. By the way, this everlasting covenant Look at verse 62. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And look at verse, the end of verse 63. When I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. He says, I'm going to make a future covenant with you, Israel. And it's going to be one in which is an everlasting covenant when I atone for all your sins. All right? Now, I'm going to ask a tricky question. Has that happened for Israel yet? But have they received it yet? No. Yep. He atoned, but they have not received. They're going to enter into that covenant. It's actually ours now. The covenant, the everlasting covenant that he's going to give to Israel is ours now in the church. It's available to Jews who want to be a part of the church age. But as a whole, 
when he comes back and redeems them, that's when they're going to enter into that everlasting covenant. I'll show you with the scripture what I'm talking about. All right. But again, don't miss this. The covenant is only possible because of God's covering their sin. Go to Ezekiel 37. Look at verses 15 through 28. Ezekiel 37, verse 15. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah and the people of Israel associated with him. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim. That's the ten tribes of the north. And all the house of Israel associated with him. So he said, take two sticks. One stick representing Judah and the southern kingdom. And one stick representing Israel or Ephraim, the northern kingdom. All right. For Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel associated with him. Verse 17. And join them to one another into one stick that they may become one in your hand. And when your people say to you, will you not tell us what you mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm about to take the stick of Joseph that's in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel associated with him. And I will join with it the stick of Judah and make them one stick that they may be one in my hand. When the sticks on which you write are in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and I will gather them from all around and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all and they shall be no longer two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Has this happened happened yet? No. This is the future covenant, the everlasting covenant. It's been paid for already by God through Jesus Christ, but Israel has not entered into that covenant yet. All right. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd, and they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children, their children's children, shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them. And I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the, then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Go to Isaiah 59. Look at verses 14 through 21. Justice is turned back. Isaiah 59 verse 14. Justice is turned back. And righteousness stands far away. For the truth has stumbled in the public squares. And uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him. That there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloth. By the way, let me just stop real quick. Haven't we had preachers say for years that Paul was probably writing what he wrote about the armor of God by looking at a Roman soldier that was guarding him? No, Paul was quoting 
from Isaiah 59. The breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. He's referring to scriptures. According to their deeds, verse 18. So will he repay with wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands he'll render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, for he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. And the Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from, turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Has that happened yet? No. It's been paid for at the cross. It's been given to us in the church age. But the promises, as you remember from Ezekiel 36, verses 22 and following, he says he's going to erase their sin Put his spirit within them and move them to follow his decrees. All things that are ours now, the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 and following, that the promises for Israel are now given to the church. But one day, he will finish what he started with Israel, fulfill his promises. The church age will come to a close. The purpose of the church age is to make Israel jealous and to display his glory to the angels by just saving us. How does he do it? Is it because of us? Because we're impressive? Because we're good? No, it's because he chooses to, and he gives us this grace. He gives us this salvation. And when we receive it by faith, he erases all of our sin. He puts his spirit within us, and he moves us to follow his decrees. I'm going to say to you, stop trying to be a good Christian. And believe that the same God who erased your sin, and the same God who's put his spirit within you, will cause it to work out. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, for it's God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose. 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, 5, actually, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I think around verse 16, it says, it's God who will establish you in every good work and word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5 says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began this good work in you, he'll be the one who finishes it. Hebrews chapter 12 says, He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Folks, stop trying to be good Christians and believe that the same God who erased your sin and put his spirit within you will move you to follow his decrees. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that the prophecy says that in those days when he does what he's going to do in Israel, that they're going to have all their sin forgiven and erased? Do you believe that the spirit, the Bible says he'll put his spirit within them? Do you believe that he says that he will then cause them to obey him and follow his decrees? Why don't we believe that he'll give that? Those are all ours now. Believe it. Get up every day and lay your flesh on the altar and say, Lord, by your spirit, I want to live today and I yield to you. That's why in Romans 6, the Bible says you choose every day whether you're going to serve the flesh or whether you're going to serve the Spirit of God. And when you try to live for Jesus, guess what? You're now working in the flesh in your own strength. Stop it. Stop it. Believe that the same God who began this salvation will do it. And when you relax and believe him and let him, you actually get better. And you go, I didn't do it. That was actually kind of easy. Maybe that yoke is light and burden is easy. Stuff is true. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. 
Look at verses 6 through 13. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. This is just the new covenant that we have now that's going to be given to Israel in the last days. It's better than the Mosaic covenant. He mediates a better one since it's enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant, the one between God and Israel and the Mosaic covenant, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for another one or a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and remember their sins no more. Now, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Don't miss what's being said here. This covenant that is coming is going to be given to the nation of Israel. And as much as we've been given this new covenant as the church, it has not fulfilled this prophecy. Can anybody tell me why? Look again at verse 11. Right, and not only that, in the church age, there are preachers and teachers. If the church fulfilled this prophecy, you wouldn't need preachers because everybody would know him. Yet the Bible says very clearly that in the church, God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. If this promise was just talking about the church and the new covenant that's now in the church, we wouldn't need preachers. This is still future, folks, because at that time and in those days, all Israel will be saved. And everyone will know him, and they won't need to be anybody teaching and preaching at that time, because they'll all know him from the least to the greatest. Oh, and look at verse 13 again. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is, quote, unquote, becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. During the last seven years of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to step into the temple and put an end to what? Sacrifice. You see, the new covenant for the nation of Israel hasn't been fulfilled yet. Oh, Jesus has paid the price. It's already been bought by the blood of Christ. And we in the church have been given a wonderful gift of being grafted into it. But ultimately, what he's promised for Israel and the ultimate fulfillment hasn't happened yet. Oh, but as we close tonight, I have been waiting to get to this point. 
especially for those of you that were here last week and heard how God described Israel as a prostitute and a whore and an immoral woman. God showed me something in my study for my radio program that ties to this tonight that I couldn't wait to show you. For those of you that don't know, for the last 13 years, I've had a radio program on WCIF. It's also on my website called Challenge for Today. And I take books of the Bible and just take a few verses and pull a challenge out from those verses each day just to give you something to meditate on and think about. And I'm in the book of Jeremiah right now, which has been a lot of fun since I'm teaching Ezekiel on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and doing Jeremiah through my radio program. I'm getting just bombed with all this stuff. It's neat how it all ties together. But in my radio program, I record radio programs weeks in advance because of my travel. People, it's amazing how many people think, how do you get to the radio station and record that every day? I do it weeks in advance. That's the real cool thing is when people go, man, I really needed to hear that. How did you know? I'm like, God knew because I recorded that months ago. And he knew what you were going to need today. But I ran across something in Jeremiah 31. And I want to close with that tonight. Go to Jeremiah 31. Look at verses 1 through 4. Actually, just the first half of verse 4. Jeremiah 31, verses 1 through 4a, as we preachers like to call it. I don't want you to miss this. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace where? You remember our study of Revelation, the second half of the tribulation, they're going to run out into the wilderness. They're going to find grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. When the Lord appeared to him from far away, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built. Who? Oh, but he doesn't just say Israel, does he? How does he describe them? Virgin Israel. Don't miss that. This is the same God that says they're a prostitute. They're a whore. They're unfaithful to me. Oh, but in that day when he restores them and he redeems them and brings them back into their land, he says, my virgin Israel. He sees them as pure, as clean, as white as snow. Folks, don't miss this. That's how he sees you and me right now. Because of the fact that we've been given what they're going to get in the future. It's ours now. We have been declared righteous by God. And I don't care what you did or what you've done or even what you're doing now that much. God, because of Jesus, because he's atoned for your sins and because it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. And our salvation is totally by his grace. He sees you and me as a virgin. Doesn't that feel good? I need to be reminded of that tomorrow morning, so don't you? Because I don't always have good days. Oh, that old covenant, some of us are still trying to earn his approval through that, aren't we? I'm trying to be good for you, God. I didn't do so good. Oh, let the truth sink in. Receive the full promise. Yes, your sins have been erased. Yes, he's put your spirit within you. But he'll also move you to follow his decrees because he sees you as pure. I love you guys. See you next week. Thanks for coming.